Hello and welcome to this, the show floor of SBE Offshore Europe 2023. Now it's Thursday afternoon, which means that we are now well over halfway through the conference and what a one it's been. It's been full on, I think, to say the least, but lots of good discussions and a lot, a lot of people just enjoying being back here after four years. So I'm joined now by Harry Vamadevan, uh, Regional Director, Energy Systems UK and Ireland. Got that right, didn't I, for yep. DMV? Yep. Harry, thanks very much for coming along. First of all, I mean, it is great to be back. It's, it feels funny that it was 2019 since we were last here. What has it been for you so far? What are some of the key talking points? Well, firstly, I think it's been a, a great reminder that offshore Europe, and the clue is in the name, that the North Sea is an amazing resource for energy. Um, the 50-year anniversary, it's okay to look back, but I think it's important to remember if we want to be here in 50 years' time, it's going to be a different energy resource. And so it's about today's energy system, but it's about the energy transition. So if you look 50 years into the future, so what will be then, 2073, what, was, what would you like to see and what do you think we'll see? I suppose that maybe that's the same thing, but... Uh, well, if I could be a little bit harsh, I'd say everyone agrees with the destination. The destination is a net zero, de uh, low carbon energy system. I think the difficulty is the path for the next 50 years. What we do see is a massive ramping up of renewables, which for the North Sea means offshore wind. Yeah? And we're going from 10 gigawatts installed capacity today to the government would like and everybody would like 50 gigawatts installed by 2030 and then 100 gigawatts plus by 2050. So a lot more renewables electrification, but also, and it's tough to say here, less oil and gas, cleaner oil and gas. Do you think that's been appreciated though? I think a lot more than 2019, there has been a, a talk about the need for oil and gas, but the fact that it is winding down, but also on that point about cleaner, I think there's a lot more talk about that. And I've got a digitalization panel later on where I think that's going to be a key focus. So it's more appreciated now. I think it's appreciated here, right. but I think at this venue of offshore Europe, you know, you and I are very likely to violently agree with each other. Yeah. Yeah? I think the difficulty is the conversation outside the room. And in that respect, I would, I would try to present it slightly differently. Energy is a system, and like any system, if you want less of something, you have to have more of something else. Okay? So we need more low carbon, so let's build out offshore wind to get that electrification, yeah. and then there'll be less oil and gas. But here's the thing, less oil and gas doesn't mean no oil and gas. It just means less than we're used to. DNV published the Energy Transition Outlook globally, just to put a pun, the global report's coming out uh, next month. Yep. But um, at the end of last year, we published a UK-specific Energy Transition Outlook. And in that outlook, we showed that ramping up of offshore wind to 100 gigawatts plus by 2050, but also it shows there's still 30% of the energy system is oil and gas, yep. yeah? It's just less than today. So it's really important that's decarbonized Plus, that is more than the domestic North Sea can produce. Yeah. So we'll still be exporting. So to some degree, I find some of the conversations today are so polarized, but don't really understand the context of the energy system. No, I think that's absolutely fair enough. Everything uh, seems to be kind of ideo ideological in everything, and it's just need a big dose of realism sometimes. But you speak about that, that transition, uh, the energy transition outlook that's coming out next month. We won't touch on that because I'm sure it's under wraps and you're looking forward to announcing it. But the one from 2022, what were kind of some of the key takeaways from that? Because it's been, as far as the energy system goes, quite the last couple of year and a half, really, since, since perhaps the end of COP to where we are now. It's been here, there, everywhere almost. Yeah, I mean, our, our outlook report is actually a long-term picture. 
Yeah. And I think part of the difficulty is the short term, it becomes actually quite a socio-economic political debate today. But actually our global energy forecast says 1.5 degrees is gone by the end of the decade. And honestly, two degrees are hanging by a thread in 2050. Why? Because we'll be far away from net zero. The, gl the global report shows that the energy system of 2050 will be 50% oil and gas, or 50% fossil fuels, 50% non-fossil fuels. Now that's an improvement yeah. from being 80% fossil fuels and 20%, but for net zero, it's still very, very far away. There must be big differences within that, within geography and, 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 and different regions, is there? Absolutely, I mean, that's a great point. The regions of the world will go at different speeds. So Europe and the US, yeah where the whole discussion of the energy transition and the adoption of, of renewable energy is further advanced. Actually, we need net zero in the 2040s because there'll be the rest of the world will be a little bit later. And we've spoken about these kind of heady offshore wind targets. I mean, there's going to be a sea green up and down the, up and down the, uh, the East Coast and probably the West Coast as well between now and 2050. That presents a lot, lots of opportunities. It presents a lot of challenges as well. What are some of the big ones that you're seeing? So I was at a, a breakfast yesterday and they are just, I think the word bottleneck was used five, six times maybe as they were talking about these things. It is. I mean, again, looking from an energy perspective, coming from an oil and gas background for the last 40 years, volatility of price, yeah. tightening of supply chains, challenges of regulatory frameworks are all things we're completely used to. For offshore wind, this is the first real sort of um, punch they've had to take, yeah. which is high license fees, relatively low electricity prices, a really tight supply chain that isn't global, it's very regionalized, massive high inflation, and some reliability issues. That's a perfect storm for offshore wind. The reality is those who have been in other energy sectors like oil and gas have experienced those challenges in the past. Yeah. So it's a great example where we need to use our know-how and our experience from one energy vector to another. And that's really what DMV is about because we're working in renewables, solar, wind, onshore, offshore. We're working in power grids. We're working in oil and gas. And we need to use all of that experience across all of those energy vectors. Can you just tell us a bit about the history of DMV and perhaps your career as well, because it is one of the kind of company that's made a, a transition of its own and perhaps it, it's going to be a a blueprint for many others to, to follow as well. I love working for DNV. DNV is an independent foundation. Yeah. It's going to be 160 years old uh, next year. Um, it's set up for a purpose, which is to protect life, property, and the environment. Yeah. yeah. And therefore, at DNV, whatever sector we're in, and we come from maritime, and then we've uh, gone into other sectors like energy and many, many others, um, we ask simple questions. Yeah. And at DNV, we always say we may not have the right answer, but it's about important but we can ask the right question. Is it safe? Is it sustainable? Will it work? Does it comply? And do you understand the risk picture? And the strange thing is, after 160 years, we find ourselves more relevant today yeah. than probably at any other stage of those 160 years. I mean, in that wind piece specifically, what are some of the, kind of the technolo technological kind of breakthroughs you're seeing in wind? I think I saw one recently with the kind of twin, twin towers, almost like a, a well, it's the best way to describe it, almost two turbines coming out like that. I mean, these things are just... It is, but again, you could compare it to almost any other energy vector. Yeah. You started off onshore, yeah, with fixed onshore wind turbines. We've moved offshore, yeah. fixed, just like platforms. And then really the biggest resource the world has are the oceans. You move out from the near shore to slightly deeper water. Does that sound familiar to oil and gas? Um, and immediately the wind resource is bigger, 
and you've got much greater ocean capacity to absorb wind turbines. So you are seeing a natural evolution of, of that technology and innovation, exactly like we saw in oil and gas again. And so the future ultimately will be floating offshore wind. And that's where you're seeing a lot of innovation. And certainly at DNV, we're working extensively uh, right across that entire value chain, but floating will be where you'll see the greatest innovation and the greatest cost reductions for the next two decades. And do you think industry's doing a good job of taking those oil and gas skills to that floating market just now? Obviously, floating wind's quite nascent, but there's a lot of similarities there between the two, it would seem, to a layman anyway. I mean, yeah, at DNV, we merged our renewables, power grids, and oil and gas businesses together yeah. three years ago. And that allowed us to use our consultants, our surveyors, our engineers across the different energy vectors. So I think business is really good at reacting to opportunity. What's really important, and if you look at the UK, there are 79 offshore wind projects on the books yeah. that don't have FID. Yeah? So when business knows a degree of certainty of opportunity, it will react. I always believe in business being able to react to opportunities, but Right now, that regulatory framework, the prices for electricity, that, and to some degree, there's the subsidies between the energy vectors is sometimes holding us back through unintended consequences. So we need a little bit of cleaning up, I would say, on policy and regulatory framework, and then business will just go charging through that front door. Wait, what are there kind of two or three tweaks you think, you think the regulators could make to do this? I mean, there's, we hear, hear a lot and talk a lot about kind of fiscal, the fiscal drag that this, certainly oil and gas is seeing currently. I mean, I don't think it's quite the same for renewables, but, but what would kind of politicians, what would one or two things that they could improve? Yeah, I mean, how a country raises its taxes is a fairly sensitive and political discussion. Yeah, and I'll try to avoid yeah. getting into that. But again, I think there's a simplicity where to some degree offshore wind has become a victim of its own success, right? The lowest cost electricity is renewables and in different countries, and for the UK, you'll find offshore wind is the lowest cost electricity you can find. So if you're a government and you're licensing seabeds, all of a sudden you think, oh, there's gonna be a big expansion, so we can maybe raise more money through our seabed licenses for offshore wind. And if they're the lowest cost of electricity, maybe the price should be less. Yeah. The problem is if you go to market too quickly with higher license fees and lower prices for electricity, at the same time, there's high inflation, high interest rates, tight supply chain, you may not get the offshore wind growth that you want. And so the government, I think, needs to take a look at license fees and prices. And also, we installed 10 gigawatts of offshore wind in the last decade, yeah. but we don't have a local supply chain. So we need to encourage the investments for a local supply chain. But how do you think we do that? Because that's such a point that we hear up in Scotland. I mean, these, these green jobs have been promised for oh, well over 10 years now, really. And yet they're really to materialize. And we are now seeing some companies coming in, certainly a couple of Japanese companies coming in with kind of cables, but that's, we need more than that. I mean, is there, is there a specific way? Is it local content targets or things like that? Or? Local content targets and, you know, linked to the licenses are, are again, a very well-established way of, of governments encouraging local investment. But again, it's the certainty. Yeah. yeah. If you give me some certainty, I will invest and DNV's hired 200 people, 65 graduates in the last two years, yeah. 35 this summer. Why? Because we're in the energy transition and we're moving and we can make those decisions. We're building a new customer center at Spade Adam. We bought an Irish consulting firm to look at biodiversity. So we're moving because we see those opportunities, but you need the certainty. And I think there are question marks about the build out of offshore wind to get to those 50 gigawatts and 100 gigawatts targets. 
And what government needs to do is to introduce that certainty and business will react. Absolutely. So I know now kind of coming slightly to the end of our session, but if there was kind of one, because we are now winding down as well for offshore Europe, I think we've like 24 hours to go almost. So if there was kind of one message that you hope that everyone would take away from this and perhaps take to their own places of work and talk to people about, what would that be? Quite a loaded one, I'm aware, to let you finish on. Yeah, maybe just to move to a slightly different track, because sometimes we forget the absolute objective is to have a low energy, low carbon energy sector. Why? Because we want to decrease carbon emissions. So it's about carbon. I'd like to see a much more level playing field for a price of carbon that would allow the en different energy vectors to become far more competitive relative to the impact of carbon. So a carbon price, a border tax, anything that really shows the cost of carbon in the energy would create a much more um, levelized platform for the different energy vectors. Incentives, I think I like, like the sound of that. And a good point to finish on as somebody that studies economics, it was all about incentives. So Harry, thank you very much. That was absolutely fascinating. And for all your, uh, to keep up to date, sorry, with all the stories from offshore Europe, you can go to energyvoice.com. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.